and welcome to the DM's Book Club, a podcast where we read about some Dungeons & Dragons and discuss how we might include it in our role-playing campaigns. But that's completely different to what we're doing today, <laughs> so that's all good. Uh, with joining me today is special guest, uh, Chris. Chris, how are you? Uh, I'm good. I'm slightly tired after a long day of meetings and decorating your room um for the last week on and off so and yeah. also writing lots of things yeah you you are probably the busiest man i know <laughs> it's always every time we finish a role-playing session you're like yes yeah, so i now have to write and you're like but it's like yeah. <laughs> 11 o'clock at night and yes i do appreciate i'm asking you to record this on a monday as well That's so okay. it's, it's actually the le- <laughs> mostly the best time to get to do such a thing well I'm, I'm glad to have you here for sure but maybe later on you're like oh energy drain how did you get into role-playing games then? Ooh, oh, wow. Okay, that's... that's um, <laughs> Let's warm you up with that question, yeah. Yeah, so tabletop gaming for me began with wargaming. So a friend of mine got back in 19... I want to say 1990... must have been Christmas 1994, he got Warhammer 40,000 Second Ed. Obviously, that's, that's a war game. Uh, mm. And so I was collecting stuff for that and other games workshop games and then one random weekend my parents came back and like oh we got this and you thought you might might like it and so it was the classic D black box red dragon edition mm. i think it's like counts as like the 18th edition of it or something like that it's <laughs> you can you can work out which printing it is yeah oh god i can't remember what the scenario is it's like some nonsense but yeah that's where i got started with it and <laughs> classic D, of course is very basic you know you got thacko in there and you know you're either a wizard or an elf or a fighter there's no there's nothing there's no, else there's <laughs> Sorry. no there's no like species race ancestry choice followed by class you're just oh you you're an elf so you can do magic so it was very much trying to emulate I guess it emulates as much as it can Tolkien-esque tropes in um, mm. in fantasy. And then after that, so, you know, you run that and you push as far as you can with what's in that core book. Yeah. And then it was on to, like, Star Wars 2nd Edition Revised that I think was in Arcane, advertised in Arcane Magazine that year, which is a D6 dice pool system dice by ball, west yeah. end games which is a classic it's a classic book um because so much i mean that's an important role play game because so much of the star wars expanded universe was developed through mm-hmm. that role play game those are the main games for a bit and mm-hmm. then i spotted in again in arcane magazine which was a classic um uk publication and it's a shame we don't have things like that mm. um well we kind of do there are some other magazines i guess these days but what was it it would have been now 1996 or so and it was the top 50 rpgs of all time according to arcane magazine and number <laughs> th- i think number one was call of cthulhu number oh, two was D, or advanced D, mm. and then number three was uh, Vampire the Masquerade. So <gasps> I then was like, I'll pick up a copy of Vampire the Masquerade. Yes. Which has obviously influenced everything, everything. I've done <laughs> since then. Um, yeah, so that's where I kind of got started in RPGs. You know, I've mm. played World of Darkness games, I've played, uh, you know, too much Games Workshop stuff. You know, Necromunda and Inquisitor, though they're war games, are heavy role play game aspects to them. And then, God, then since then it's been. Well, got into podcasting. So it was when I was doing... It was after my PhD. Mm. 
I got I, there was a podcast that started up called Darker Days Radio. And, oh yes, I've heard of that one. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> and so me and Mike were Mike, who co-hosts with me. Mm. Um, we were on the forums for that podcast where mm. it started up, and then we were on to the forums that the podcast had. And these days, you don't have forums because you got Discord. Oh yeah. And we basically submitted some stuff to it, or would record, or recorded small segments, or were like, oh, do you want to just? come on and talk about this and that was like basically how both of us kind of just got roped in and since then you know after the first year or so one of the original hosts disappeared you know left it because of reasons reasons and then mark hope was with us for a year or so and then it's just been me and mike for like the last 10 years which is years bloody hell over 10 years well dark days Road has been going now for like 12 plus years and we've been hosting it for 10 years and we don't we don't do an episode every week we don't do an episode hell sometimes we're lucky if we do an episode a month right now because we're so busy but (laughs) i think that's just the nature of when your life takes precedence over talking Mm. about elf games or vampire (laughs) games in this case that's role play um (laughs) how often do you play or run uh any rpg then chris uh if i'm not streaming something yeah. I'm not doing a stream. I try to run something at least every two weeks, if I can. Because mm. every week used to be... I mean, every week was good when meeting in, meeting in person. But yeah. that's got progressively harder uh, as yes. everyone has grown up. Cause... Yeah, being an adult sucks. Yeah. <laughs> and then if I'm streaming, then, yeah, I try to... Yeah, every two weeks with streaming and every two weeks if I'm doing my own game, uh, my own home game. So, and that's just because also, like, if I'm not streaming or if I'm not running a game, I'm likely either writing material for games yeah. or podcasting about games or <laughs> I'm using the other hours I've got to paint toy soldiers and play war games. So it's, um, yeah, you mm-hmm. kind of just have to do a bit of project management with it. <laughs> Just... <laughs> it's nice it's nice to be busy though I, I get that like having that sort of like knowing what you enjoy and that every your spare time is all about it as well i think like like you said we grow up we become adults and you can't do it as much but actually if you enjoy it so what yeah. like you know i feel i feel like i was talking to someone recently probably was my mother and talking to her about like how actually these things that we got bullied for or uncool things we did at school has obviously now had a renaissance and is now really really cool again and it's so much cooler apparently now um, and yeah you've I got d- critical roles got a cartoon series coming out you've got hollywood actors are basically role-playing all the time in their mm-hmm. spare spare hours it's um i don't know how entirely cool it is now but i mean it's definitely more acceptable to a yeah. certain extent Definitely. I know there's a bit of pushback though. It's a weird thing, isn't it? It's like there's a pushback because also you've got the people who you you would say who who feel they suffered through the hobby, you know, with their hobby all <laughs> yeah. those years, and now it's suddenly cool. And they're just like, oh, that's all well and good, but like that doesn't make me feel better about no. the bullying and and ostracization that I had through mm. through that. Which is why you get that pushback of like you know the whole. Oh, you're just a hipster gamer, which I think is a mm. quote from whichever kickstarted movie thing, whichever was about role playing. Um, oh, I, I vaguely remember that. Yeah, I, I saw that. Yeah, 
like for me when I because I only I would only say I've only re- recently in quotation marks I only got into role playing games in the last five years. Wow. And okay. I know. I know. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Chris is right. like what? <laughs> like, but I I'd always, I knew it's one of those things as not a te- well yeah sure attention seeking seeking kids who like drama would have absolutely yeah. excelled at this you know 15 years ago or whatever it wasn't as easily available but also just like it wasn't cool or it wasn't it just like i i remember being like pu- not publicly shamed but sort of sort of like oh you like doctor who oh and this yeah, is when right. doctor who was coming back out and i was like it's pretty cool like the B- it's on bbc prime so you know so uh, all those sort of things I think it's interesting now, just going back to that, that idea of like doing it in our spare time, because actually I think we're more rounded human beings by doing these sort of things like role playing. So like, I, I think I have yeah. better social skills for at work as a result for playing a vampire in my spare time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> there's, there's a lot you can learn from it. Um, I mean, my parents initially were a bit hesitant about um, wargaming because obviously Games Workshop stuff it was back then considered expensive but i mean sure okay i see i see you do you you actually it's quite funny you do the maths on it and you look at things and it's like apparently if you take into account inflation some of the metal miniatures back then if you were to buy like you go i want an entire 20 man skaven unit of what are they poison globideers or something stupid like that or plague monks if you went by the classic metal miniatures that came out and were available in like 1990 oh god when would it be 1997 i think Mm. that's a it would have cost you more then than it does now mm-hmm. to have that unit, which it's it's interesting. And then with like there's other things I was looking at something else. And it's like oh yeah, you get that that same amount of models back then in metal costs actually more than it does now, which just says something about where technology and plastic. Mm. And they yeah, their attitude had to change over time because they clearly saw me saw me and my mates doing this, and it's like well actually where are they on a weekend like they're spending yeah. three four hours playing necromunda campaigns on <laughs> on the dining room table using the dining room table and a whole bunch of polystyrene terrain they've cobbled together, not mm. other things and mm. consoles are not cheap even now like mm. and that that's not changing because of the chip shortage um mm. and so forth so they they accepted it and then i think since then obviously since i got into like podcasting and and then into writing it's become more and more of a even more of an acceptance of it and i think it's as you say it's clear there's transferable skills uh, <laughs> that we talk about in academia um mm-hmm. it's amazing like podcasting when you first start out, out is a little scary um mm. and then you start like getting guests on who are like you think are like properly like your icons like interviewing for me like Andy yeah. Chambers and Justin McKilly and Thomas Pernan and so forth have been highlights and that's that's mm. it's because you're asking about the stuff they designed but you're also like but I love your games <laughs> you're, you're really cool <laughs> and I'm also trying to say something <laughs> profound about them never which is hard <laughs> Podcasting has been very interesting for me because obviously if you just reach out going, I, I played your RPG system on my podcast, can I interview you about it? Usually they're like, you played my game? Hooray! They're usually really <laughs> forthcoming because they don't consider themselves actually that cool. Like the, the exactly. idea of rock star game designers is such a joke. I mean... <laughs> Could you imagine? I mean, that's the, the common joke is like back in the day when White Wolf was almost at its at its apex and like were holding like parties at Gen Con and that was like, oh White Wolf, they're rolling in it. They're they clearly got hookers and blow kind of d- deal going on as well. It's like such nonsense. Everyone's like pathetic nerds behind it all. 
we're all just hiding behind these uh, behind this sort of role playing yeah. facades, you know. But speaking of writing, then, so yeah, you write quite a lot. Then you write your own scenarios and stuff like that. So how did you get into doing that? I think that started in, like, obviously, if you write, if you're running games, you you write a lot of content down, mm. and it's when you're. I think it was mainly for when I got into when what was at the time New World of Darkness, so Vampire the Requiem and all those came out. I was like, okay, I'm gonna like write my own proper setting for this and think about it hard. And so I just built up notes and then I dabbled at like, well, I could turn this into my own homebrew thing and and use the layouts and extract those, uh, the backgrounds from the PDF and make my own thing in Word, <laughs> which is really hard. Word back then, we're talking Word circa 2010, was not oh, great Christ, for this kind yeah. of document. And so that was like, you know, I think you can still find online, it's like, that was about... 50 odd pages I wrote with a whole bunch of NPCs and so forth mm. and then I wrote a a setting book for Venice for Changing the Lost which was perhaps my first stab at like a proper laid out mm. book which is like again another 120 odd pages that I wrote Wow! and that took a lot of time to work through and research what I wanted to do and from that and playing other games and doing wargaming my first kind of actual official game writing was actually for a war game so uh mm-hmm. for at the time red brick publishing had the license for fading suns which is a sci-fi game kind of dune-esque roleplay game and that also was by former White Wolf writers like Bill Bridges and so forth. And I got asked to work on and design the third edition of the spaceship combat game called Noble Armada. So I wrote, I co-designed that and photographed miniatures I painted for it and terrain and everything. So, and writing, you know, fluff fiction, introductory like text. And that's Mm. really good because I mean, writing rules is technical writing. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes that's not a pre well, either it's not appreciated or it's not, or people take the wrong approach to writing rules. And I mm. like rules that are to the point and clear. Yeah. I like things to call out, like, this is a, you are exhausted. Exhausted is capitalized or it's like in italics or it's bold. Not, yeah. oh, you're exhausted. And the, on, and the thing carries on. You're like, hold on a minute. Do you mean exhausted in a kind of like, you're exhausted, but there's no rules to it? Or there's, yeah. you're exhausted there are rules to it and mm-hmm. that informs how i both like and that that's i think that's because also i don't have time to read like <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't read rule books like they're a freaking novel like um, <laughs> you know they're, they're textbooks yeah they're textbooks and mm-hmm. should be i feel approached in that way there's there's a time and a place to write content that's mm-hmm. you, trying mm-hmm. to inject mood so mm-hmm. that's where i started and then with the storytellers vault with community content that's where i took that venice book and i was like okay let's use the templates let's use the resources learn adobe InDesign, redo the layout oh god it's so much easier and looks much better yeah yeah tidy it up (laughs) get some original artwork in there some photography uh thanks to my partner uh and Mm -hmm. then put it out there and it's basically kind of considered the the venice source book for changing the lost um (laughs) Which is great. And then since then and through the podcast, we've done a few more. So we've yeah, we've also always, through the podcast, actually, we did do some fan content called mm. Forgotten Lore. And that's essentially now 
what we've done again, but officially mm-hmm. through the storytelling vault. So we have like the secret frequency files. So that's like mm. those segments we do on the show where we go real world lore, how do we use it in the games? Now we've taken a few of those examples and written them down with rules and everything. So oh, cool. that's where it started. And it's just, you know, finding the time to do projects because the moment you do good projects on community content, then people come along and go, will you write for us? And that's interesting because I've applied to write, I've, I applied to write for Onyx Path a few times and I didn't oh, yeah. get through on it because mm-hmm. I get tons of applications and tons of people who are mm-hmm. better at writing at the time and then if you have community content and it's selling well that's like you've demonstrated you can do it and that's how you get your your ins into the industry i mean there's a part of it is also like the podcast gives you some like a platform a a platform yeah you know what you're talking about with games you're on the same kind of page with the designers you know i've also done videos for like with um on tabletop or beasts of war back in the day so that was like for kingdom death because i was like the only person i knew through game media through thanks to the podcast Mm -hmm. that had a fully painted core game of kingdom death locally and by local we mean in the uk UK. and they're based in northern ireland so yeah okay (laughs) and those are intense those were intense weeks of like three days of recording Mm. five videos each one a three-hour stint of playing a bo- of playing kingdom death oh, it's just like hard that was really yeah, hard um, <laughs> so yeah that's the inroads into it i think mm. i think if anyone was wanting to do it is yeah. try your hand at community content it's um just write what you like initially yeah like write what you enjoy doing and then after you feel like okay people will buy it then you can maybe think more about a particular niche within within um within that product range because mm-hmm. everyone's got their view on like i don't know if we're talking D, dm's guild must have like 20 dozen stamps at a particular character class or all their mm-hmm. own take on it because everyone's got an opinion um yeah. yeah that's how i've got in and then since then it's like writing for cubicle seven on mm. all three of the warhammer rpgs and working for onyx path on vampire fifth edition and currently on changing the lost and now iron kingdoms with um yeah. private press which is which is a weird one uh, i say yeah. weird. i really love the setting it's a weird one because <laughs> do i be honest here like i did not touch D&D 5e until I got asked to write for it, <laughs> yeah. to write for Iron Kingdoms. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, I don't know what that says about my writing, but so far, from what I know, everything's okay. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm sure they wouldn't have asked you otherwise. <laughs> That's something, actually, you will get to a point, actually, you will get to a point in writing where someone thinks you can write for them, even if you don't know the game line very well. Yeah. And that's a sign that they know you will put the work in to, to do the research. Once you're sort of in there, if they want your kind of story, the mechanics doesn't matter. You could write a, like um agnostic story, and then you know people can just change it. And it's interesting what you say about DMs Guild. There's definitely they've got a big Feywild stuff at the moment, and everything is Feywild. You know, right. And you're just like, okay, we get it. Fairies are in just now. Brilliant. <laughs> Anything else? It's Halloween, guys. Let's yeah. let's try and get some spooky stuff. Let's go on to then Iron Kingdoms, because obviously that's sort of what you're here to talk about. So for the uninitiated, what is Iron Kingdoms? Oh, right. Okay. So Iron Kingdoms, uh, I believe, was the first 
third-party campaign that came out for the D20 system open game license. So it goes back to, I want to say 2003. I might Mm. be wrong on that. Maybe 2002. So it's old uh, in that respect. So yeah, it's originally a D&D setting. Uh, It's also a war game. So Iron Kingdoms is renowned for the War Machine and Hordes war games. And the this is a setting which I guess its main feature is it's a setting in which there is magical steam power. So I'm not going to quite say steampunk because yeah. it's got things that set it apart from that, but it's they've got steam power that enables magic and vice versa. So it's the it's a it's a there are some human you know human kingdoms like Signar, Cador and Lael and Ord. And it's a it's a civilization, these kingdoms, they emerged after that part of the world was invaded by the Orgoth, who were basically these demon worshipping nut jobs. The humans basically got the gift of magic. So they weren't able to do spell casting before. All they could do was like divine intervention with priests. Mm-hmm. And magic they learnt magic and they also combined it with their steam technology to create war jacks which are these like magical automata so they're actually they do have a rudimentary kind of intelligence as well mm-hmm. and so you've got this setting where you've got these walking magical robots basically and you've got a type of wizard called warcasters who can like bind themselves to their war jacks as warlocks that can do it to war beasts and control them and yeah, they over through the Orgoth, and then they've got the, the 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 warring kingdoms, and there's a whole plot line that goes on. And the original campaign was the Witchfire trilogy, which mm. introduced the the character of uh, Alexia Siano, who is basically I don't want to do spoilers on her, but I do as a character I really like her because she is a sympathetic kind of villain, and ultimately within the Iron Kingdoms where we're up to, becomes one of its heroes, even mm. though she does necromancy. Because the Iron Kingdoms is quite interesting from other perspectives. So it's a there's an industrial revolution powered by magic going on. There's firearms. There's gun mages who do spells through their guns. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's necrotech. There's necromancy combined with steam power. <laughs> there's... There's some weird fae-like creatures called the Grimkin. It's a genre mashup, and where I think, if I was to make comparisons, where Warhammer, classic Warhammer fantasy, is very much like Middle Ages Renaissance meets mm. fantasy. Iron Kingdoms, to me, feels more like Napoleonic era meets yeah. fantasy. Because you've got, like, you know, trench warfare going on and everything. So you've, you had the original Iron Kingdom setting for D20. Mm-hmm. Then they brought out an Iron Kingdoms second edition RPG that used the same system as the war game, which mm-hmm. I quite enjoyed. And the books are still relevant, actually. There's a lot of good setting material in there. And I think that really that allowed them to really uh, take a lot of the work they've done in the war game and condense it into these books, whereas like, you could tell in the original D20 books they were, they were still exploring the setting. Mm-hmm. What we now have, the previous Kickstarter, which was, I guess... Earlier this year was... Last year or something. Yeah, last year, there we go. So we had Iron Kingdom's Requiem. So this Mm -hmm. is now Iron Kingdom's for D&D 5e, which introduces a bunch of new classes and new 
ancestry species race you know mm-hmm. uh so you've got your trollkin you've got your ogren you've got your the iron kingdoms take on elves and dwarves because they're not like your tolkien tropes and now we're on to the new one which is one i've been writing for which is borderlands beyond mm. which is basically let's go beyond the iron kingdoms let's go to the the edges of society let's go into the wilderness so you're go- going into the woodlands where the trollkin like to hang out and the the uh, druids where there's obviously giant troll war beasts uh, or go into the into the woods i don't know why people would into the haunted forests of eos which is where the uh <laughs> the um ios and elves are from and there's a whole there's a whole lot of shit going down with those elves <laughs> it's it's twisted and interesting and then on to the bloodstone marches which is basically this like um desert land which is you could basically go as like your sandbox literally for adventures because you know the the scorn who are this empire of of crazy i can't even the scorn are like this weird like slaver like race that have war beasts and and weird magic based upon like pain they've been driven out of the iron kingdoms and so this area is now free reign. You've got the retribution of the the, the, the retribution of Syrah, who like this mercenary force. Well, not mercenary. They're like a paramilitary force of the Ios and Elves. They've fallen apart and they're camped out there. You've got the trolls, and some of the villages and and towns there are very Western style. So mm. like you know, rooting, tooting cowboys and. Yeah, you'll get Trollkin, you know, walking around in Stetsons with with six shooters and so forth. That's, that's, that's all I it's want. It's a full genre mashup. <laughs> yeah, like you said, it's very detailed as well. Like just looking at it briefly, that like you said you've got all these different classes, all these different takes on it, and this idea of like it is high fantasy still, but with that sort of again steam s magic, but not yeah. steampunk. And I, I think it's like when you look at certainly the images of it and the the art artist work. Yeah, it's it's definitely not like we're in the future. You're no, still no, in. No. Yeah, you still you said that sort of Napoleonic sort of thing. It it definitely looks like, and it makes me feel like oh actually that's quite a cool. Because I think that's the problem sometimes when we say stuff like steampunk or, you know, to do with that sort of engineering or mechanical element of these settings, you instantly go, oh, right, so it's the future or it's Victoriana, that sort of thing. Yeah. You're like, well, no, because we've got Tolkien, we've got, El-, you know. So I, I think it's, yeah, it's just really interesting as a result. Like, I, I've never really yeah. experienced anything like it. You can run in that game a lot of things. Like, you can run, you could be a mercenary group. You could be a bunch of witch hunters working for the Order of Illumination. You can be explorers uncovering like lost ruins in the Thornwoods where the Orgoth had a king part of their kingdom or the, no actually was it the Orgoth or there was another kingdom there as well I forget now I think it's the Mulgar you could be pirates you could be uh, you could be uh, simple merchants you could be in the city of Corvus which is my favourite location in the entire Iron Kingdoms and be investigators mm-hmm. so while it is D&D 5e mm. The setting is not for dungeon crawling. It's no. punctuated by combat, by by scenes of yes. violence in amongst the tangible uh, reality that it is. Mm-hmm. And I think there's other things that are interesting that set it apart from other fantasy settings mm-hmm. and why the steampunk kind of element is important because the Requiem Corps also makes some important points about what magic is like in the setting. Mm-hmm. So you can't bring people back from the dead, like, mm. easily. 
if ever. Like, that is... The gods do that. So if, if a character dies in the course of fighting, you're done. So there's none of that. What, what's the spell? What was it? It's resurrection or whatever. Resurrection, spare the yeah. dying, all that sort of thing. You no, can't one, do that. When you're dead, you're dead. I see. There's no journeying astral planes. None of that. Mm. Um, healing spells are pretty much non-existent. Um, oh, cool. If they, if you do have them, healing using magic is painful. So the whole point is that mm. magic is is not like writing with a pen. Mm. It's like trying to it's like trying to sign your signature on a letter, but your actual tools to do it are a, a bloody stake and a hammer. It's like oh, it's brute cool. magic is brute force. Mm-hmm. So that means mechanica, like steam the, the, the machinery that channels magic is what allows allows you to take this raw power mm-hmm. and give it to the masses to be used in a in routine mundane ways. So, you know, you might have someone who's a researcher, they have no ability with magic and they've got a little condenser, which is like a, it's got like metal foil plates and they're spinning round because it's like siphoning ambient magic. And it's using that to power, I don't know, like a magic lantern show or something. Mm. It's, it's that kind of, that's, so that's the interaction with magic. Magic is, magic is brute force and blunt. And yeah. it's it's, and it's a hard yeah. I was gonna say is that danger element and, and like hard thing. And I think that's that's a really cool distinction away from D and D because again, there's that sort of idea like oh well, magic is everywhere. But compared to say dungeon uh, dungeon classic crawl or crawl classical, I can never remember how you say it. Where it's like yeah, magic you can use it, but it's a last resort and it's dangerous and you could die. Uh, so having it between those sort of things and like it's a part of life. Though it's that sort of like interesting, unknowable element of it. I think that's that's pretty cool. I quite like that. For you, Chris, then is there a particular element of Iron Kingdoms with the with the with the new uh, Kickstarter and everything? Is there one that you're like, oh, I really like this. This is a really cool thing that people should get into in Iron Kingdoms. Um, oh. Or a favourite bit of it? You're like, oh, people should know more about this. I mean, I personally, I'm waiting for. Well, I, I've enjoyed looking... Yeah, I enjoy the fact that we get to examine the kingdom of Eos because mm. uh, Ios and Elves are very different to D&D Tolkien-esque elves because elves in Iron Kingdoms are not the oldest race mm. and they have been they've been monumentally screwed over like a lot in this setting. Um, so, you know that classic thing where you go, oh, I am... I am... Uh, oh, what's his name? <laughs> I am Hugo Weaving. No. Oh, um, oh Elrond, Elrond. I'm Elrond, right? <laughs> and I'm this ancient elf and I'm so wise and everything. No, Iosans are like this This bitter... Are, are really, I find really interesting because they're like this bitter elven race because... They used to exist in a way that they had no disease, they were long-lived, and then something changed with their gods, and mm. now they're suffering mortality, and they're so desperate to to find the solution for that. And they blamed humanity and the fact that humanity had magic. They thought that was the reason for it. Their gods are dying or have gone missing or are asleep. And the fact we're getting to really delve into them and their kingdom, so that they've not really been, in, been looked at in a lot of detail within the previous editions mm-hmm. um and that's just really fun and, and interesting to look at i'm really excited because actually one of my favorite things i'm not right i'm personally not 
written anything on this part of the Kickstarter. And I'm kind of like, oh, I wish I was, though. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> um, so there's um, a scenario. I think it's a scenario campaign coming out, which is for... Uh, which is one of the books. So, like, there's three books in this Kickstarter. So there's yeah. Borderlands and Beyond, which has got some new char- new ancestries, uh, new... I say careers, new archetypes, whatever... Yeah. Uh, and then new backgrounds and subclasses. Then there's Borderlands Survival Guide, which, if I'm right, is like optional rules to like for wilderness survival and you know creatures mm-hmm. and you know why the wilderness is a bad place. Yeah. And then there's a campaign book called Shadow of the Seeker, so that's dealing with the Iosans. And then the thing that I really like and I'm really keen to run. I like really. I'm super keen to run this, so I want to see it yeah. when when I, I can see it. Like I'm bugging uh, Matt Getz, who's in charge of of this of developing. I'm gonna have to bug him so I can read it early. Uh, is Escape <laughs> the Mind Slavers because yes. this is another faction called the Cephalex, who yes. are a humanoid race, but they see how I said like humans have warjacks. These automata right yeah. that are powered by magic and then warlocks come from the wilderness they're Trolkin or the Scorn or they're the Legion of Everblight or they're the um, Circle of Warburst Druids and they, they use magic and they bind with war beasts and they yeah. learn so mag- yeah, and natural learn magical beings, ability yeah. in the war beasts yeah. the Cephalics are like, are like the um, just totally weird by comparison so they are psionics so they don't use magic. They have bulbous brains covered in Mechanica and stuff. Yeah. So they've got these appendages that are very Doc Ock kind of style. Mm. Um, they have slaves who they've lobotomized or they grow or whatever. And again, are under their control. And then they have these abomination type creatures, which are hu- which are Warjack style, like people, mm. kind of, who they've like cut the arms off and graft on like horrific like you know circular saws oh. and so forth and they control oh. them with their minds and yes. the cephalics like live underground and are from a part of the Amoran and have come all the way through to western Amoran where the Iron Kingdoms are and I just I just love these crazy bastards the image of it of them on the kickstarter I'm like ooh that that's the sort of thing I want to terrify my players with so they're I, yeah, pretty, like said, oh, they're, they're gruesome creepy yeah, it's, you know, like you said, like always, this bull. It looks a bit like a sort of the sort of a, a beholder stuck on a body, yeah. but with way too many uh, sharp arms. Yeah, like, 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 their their yeah. body's floating there. They're, they levitate yeah. with their psychic abilities because their body is like an emaciated, useless piece of flesh. So, oh, yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing that book. But yeah, Iosans have been really interesting. Uh, and it's also been fun to write about Trollkin. I love Trollkin. Yeah, I, I like Trollkins. <laughs> they they're, they're good good fun yeah it's interesting because like we still even with this we don't tap all the wilderness uh or bits that people associate with hordes so hordes has got the scorn as i said you've got the legion of everblight to the north which are like i can't even begin they're like body horror meets meets uh dragons so like the blood of dragons causes like this blight that which can mutate flesh and create these what called dragon spawn Mm -hmm. so they're another thing entirely we still haven't even had a book yet in this version or the previous version for the kingdom of cricks which is the kingdom of the undead and they have a dragon the lord of all dragons called torok so dragons again in this setting are not like dragons we know they're 
they're kind of like gods and kind of like not, and they're kind of alien to the world of Amoran, and it's... Mm. Yeah, they're... they're a, um, yeah, different interpretation of the sort of the good and, metallics and, and chromatics. And I think and... that's the thing, is that Iron Kingdoms does give fresh approach to D&D with how you run your games, because I said it's... You, the, the kingdoms have got such violent weaponry that running a dungeon crawler makes no sense. Like, when, yeah. when you might be fighting mercenary forces armed with repeating, you know, repeater rifles or have mm. mortars and and explosives, along with magic and giant warjacks. It's, um, mm. you have to, I think, it's how you adventure in these worlds is, in this world is very different. Yeah. And of course, yeah, you, you know, it all runs off the SRD, so all the traditional classes and traditional um, stuff works. There's just a few fixes uh, to make mm. it more Iron Kingdom. So what is Iron Kingdoms introduces essences and backgrounds. So mm. normally you can do the normal build where you build your character, you pick their race, ancestry, and that sets your bonus bonuses to your stats. So, yes, for certain ones, yeah. If you go the Iron Kingdom's Requiem route, that doesn't come from your species, from your ancestry. Instead, you choose also on top your essence and background, and they tell you where to put things. So if you go, oh, well, okay. I'm an Ogryn, but I'm actually quite intelligent, so mm. I actually get a bonus to my wisdom rather than to my strength, because mm. an Ogryn is basically a big ogre-like uh, mm. person. Or if you're like a gob, if you play a gobber, which is a goblin. Well, are you sneaky or are you, are you actually the random, quite strong goblin for whatever reason? You'll, you've actually got a bonus to your strength attribute. So there's that in there. I think magic as well with clerics. You've got different domains as well. So are you a, are you a cleric to Morrow? Are you a cleric or... I say cleric. Are you, are you a, a left-handed path cleric to Thamar who is Morrow's dark sister are you a, a are you a, a priest to Menoth so there's plenty of gods and everything mm-hmm. to to interact with and then of course I'm one of the stretch goals yes <laughs> which, which is, is so exciting which is like, exciting and a bit yeah. terrifying so if we reach what three three hundred eighty thousand dollars on this on this I will be writing a further scenario for Iron Kingdoms which is which is crazy um, I don't know what to say to that I mean the yeah. reason why Matt picked me up to write on this was because I was streaming Iron Kingdoms the previous edition yes that's right on Darker Days yeah yeah and that was a good laugh and it was just like I guess it just proved that you get the setting you get no you know you know about it yeah. go for it yeah, because yeah, it's that it's that sort of thing where I think if you know the subject matter well and you know how to like you said like like because you said before like you, when you're creating your own sort of home you're always home brewing stuff anyway, and just just yeah. I think nowadays like you said with podcasting with being able to stream like a, a Zoom call, you know people can actually see what you're doing very easily. It's so easy to build up like a portfolio of stuff, whereas obviously like you were saying before times when we're like it's on the forum, it's in a PDF, it's hidden away somewhere like all your sort of writing stuff. Whereas actually. You know, getting a showreel together now of all, of all your stuff is is pretty straightforward. So that that's incredible that yeah. you're just doing Iron Kingdoms and suddenly they reach out to you. Go, hey, next good. I would caveat it with like I don't think I would have been confident writing for it if I hadn't done some actual writing for. True. Yeah, you've content. been writing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think just because you just because you stream game because streaming games and preparing your own games 
and writing things. Like, if we consider, like, what we're doing for Vampire the Masquerade, like, my notes for our vampire games are, like, you know, is a page of A4 thereabouts. <laughs> Possibly a little less when me yeah. and Ben are but, involved. <laughs> but it's, um... But that's the thing, is, like, that's that's fine for your own games, and if you're very good yes. at, like, sp- spontaneously running things. But I think when it comes to writing, you just my only advice is just to keep going at it and keep writing because you're only going to get more practice by writing i think that comes in like two halves because the other thing is i don't just obviously my day job currently anyway and is research so yeah i don't just write games i am not going to make a life out i'm not going to pay a mortgage on games currently that's sadly yeah um (laughs) but i also write you know research like as in I, I have published, every I have day published anyway, research yeah. so so mm. i think that means you're at least aware of how to write good english yeah you should be um even though i would say some academics still can't um oh that's a that's a different podcast in itself chris and you know yeah. it um, <laughs> but also i think it informs you on like technical writing to like Yes. For writing rules and getting across rule systems. Um, because also, like, my day job is, like, computer programming. And again, that is, to me, the difference between these things is very little. It's structure. Mm. And then the other thing I write is, like, outreach material. Well, I say outreach, but it's, like, it's for a magazine called Cyber, which is a futurism mm. and science magazine. So, again, that's trying to, like, take something I know quite well that is quite detailed, but explain it to a general audience and so i think in some respects that's kind of what you're doing with role play games it's like you know the setting but you need to get that through to people like you know the hooks and you need to get it through to them you know the rules and you need to lay it out so really my advice is just to practice and have other people read your stuff also this is a huge thing if you want to go down this route is spell check like there like there's no excuse <laughs> these days like you can write and also you can write on you could use like google docs to write your material yep. that's what I do. and you can use grammarly for free to do a lot oh. of good editing yeah and find out whether you're using too much passive speaking mm, i'm, very, I'm yeah, always bad that. for that on a first draft because yeah. i'm just trying to get the ideas out first before i go yeah. back and like change the tense up grammarly has saved several emails to people yeah. when you're writing then a scenario or where do you start do you start with the idea like the outline or do you start with like a, an ending or like what, 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 um, what's your process <laughs> God. um so i would say for a scenario i i always i do have a i always have in mind that there should be a structure of key scenes and mm. I try to work out where I want to go first. Like, what is the end goal? What is What am I trying to set up that's exciting? And then wh- how do I start is then the next thought. Like, where are they coming from? Why? And therefore that's like, why is going from there to there going to be exciting? Like, what's the big change that's going to occur for them? Mm-hmm. And then if I have that in mind, I'll have an idea for what the middle should be. There should be somewhere you definitely want to go through, which means you can ramp up the tension from. Mm-hmm. So that ramping up will either be you get there and you realise things are much more complicated than you initially thought, or you're halfway there in the story and there's the turnover, like mm-hmm. things were not as expected. Allies are enemies, enemies are allies, etc., etc. 
So that's generally the structure I go for, and then filling the other scenes around it, depending upon the length of them. With the knowledge that, you know, if you're doing pre-written scenarios, especially with a tight, with where you've got a limit on word length, um, mm. you know, it's going to be a little railroady, and yeah, of course. that's to be expected. So I try to write with some utility of the scenes, so mm-hmm. that it should be clear if you want to move a scene and translate it in the order of the of mm. of the scenes, you should be able to do that. Or if you could lift up the and put it, do the same story but in a different place, you could generally get away with that. Or offer advice on where like okay this this entire segment you're finding quite exciting insert more scenes do some Mm. more stuff because the thing is and this is something i've learned a lot and i i i've i've always heard when people go oh we were running this game and then i tp i tpk'd the entire lot and i was like "Ah, that's not like that's not yeah i i like when you're when you're time poor as Mm. we are now um and also you've got so many distractions like with gaming Mm -hmm. then often it's not about if you make the end if you get there and we see this with computer games actually it's Mm -hmm. not if you get there it's the quality of the ending that you get Mm -hmm. so I'm less about like I don't I understand when I write a scenario you will reach the end I you know I want the players I want the GM to reach the end Mm -hmm. how good an ending they get based upon the choices along the way, mm-hmm. I think is more interesting. Mm-hmm. So, for example, like within um, Chronicles of Darkness scenario that I wrote called The Hunger Within, mm-hmm. that's a folk horror scenario that's based on my hometown. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. In right from the heart, yeah. yeah. right from the heart. But, so the whole point of that is they can reach the end, but there's a, there's a few choices they can make at the end that relies upon whether they they got certain clues or made certain insights along the way that mm. based upon that, they can get the good end or the really sucky end or something in between. Mm. And you see that, I think, I guess the one game that really sold that to me about you reach that point is, um, is, is the Silent Hill games. I was going to say, Silent yeah, Hill. Silent Hill. Mm. Has, is, is very much like that. Yeah. Um, so that's my approach. That's my thought process on writing uh, mm. scenarios to be sold to people. Because yeah, loads of games do that, like like The Walking Dead, where you make choices, and at, and at the end they always show you at the end go how many people who played through the scenario got this and stuff. And I actually I love that idea that you have good, bad, worse endings or flavors of in between, almost like Undertale in a way. That's I think that's a really cool thing because then because you always have players who always go, so what did we miss? Which is yeah, as, a, right? as a GM, as a GM, you're like, oh, for, just I've be heard, in the moment. I've heard <laughs> this in relation to the scenario I wrote. Um, I designed and then co-wrote with um, David Whitworth, uh, who also you know does Darkhammer with us and streams. Mm-hmm. So I designed uh, Hell Rides to Help for Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay for a Halloween game now three years ago. Yeah, mm-hmm. God. Um, <laughs> and then he came. He he ran it as well on that same day, and so we were able to play test it with different groups of players, and then mm. we. Pitched it and co-wrote it and tidied up the notes and everything into actual prose and everything. Yeah. But I've heard from people that have played it that they've had people, they've had the same group of players, once they've played through it, the same group of players go, can we play it again? 
with different characters. How interesting. Because we know we've missed things. There are things we've missed and we, we want to know what we could we could have missed. And I thought, that's... Like, I knew, I know the way it was set up is they're not going to get everything. They're not going to learn yeah. all the secrets. There's just no way because that yeah. game is designed to be run as a one-shot for a demo event. So it's meant to, like... The players have no time to breathe. Mm-hmm. There's no time for shopping. I hate shopping in games like <laughs> where it means nothing. What? So they don't have time to do that. But the idea then that because it's played that way, that players want to go, can we play it again because we've missed something, is really interesting. And yeah. I don't know. It's I guess that's a really high praise for it. And it, I think the most yeah. I think something I've been quite proud of to hear. And I think yeah. people said the same about other scenarios I've written so yeah actually that's a very good point because I feel like when we play RPGs or watches or when you get scenarios and stuff very rarely do we go oh we want to play that again like so and similar to yeah. some video games as well like sometimes you might play it through again to get all the achievements I don't think I've ever done that as a player obviously I've run yeah. the same scenario for other groups of players but I've never I've never thought to myself, oh I'd love to play that again with the not like almost like a rogue like it in a way yeah that's really interesting i hadn't really thought of that having a scenario whereby you could play it over and over again almost death loop style and get and it's it's interesting that approach because the moment you get into that mindset about being able to revisit a a, a setting for a game Mm -hmm. to get more out of it that changes you from how you approach designing scenarios or content or a setting for a game because for example, and I think this is really interesting. It's all often been one of the complaints, like uh, for Wrath and Glory, that I've I hear, and it grates me because I I wrote on the core game for that and <laughs> and other things. Is that people look at Wrath and Glory as a Warhammer Forty Thousand game and go, oh, but it's just Super Friends. Like, why is a Space Ring teaming up with this, this, or this? All these character archetypes, and. Because they think, oh, but that's meant you're playing a campaign, aren't you? So how are these really weird combination of characters going to stick together and you're like well no because if you look at the novels and you look at any interesting media it's always like an event occurs mm-hmm. and disparate groups of people are thrust together yeah. for that one moment and then mm-hmm. after that it's gone mm-hmm. and what i think is really cool is there's been a recent like um series of of scenarios out for for wrath and glory called litanies of the lost which actually is takes place in the same event but you play it with each scenario is from a different angle of of the event occurring. So scenario one, you're just tier one Imperial Guardsman, you're grunts, you're going to die horrific deaths, dealing with horrors of chaos. Tier two, it's the same world, it's the same events going on, but you're going to interact with events slightly differently because you're tier two characters, so you're more capable. Mm-hmm. Tier three, you're now playing space marines who mm-hmm. have a completely different view on what's going on. The horrors that you were facing in tier one are now, you know, you're going to massacre in tier three. Mm-hmm. And that changes... I think that's that's more similar to, like, Nordic LARP as well, in the sense that you're playing in that one moment. You're not playing an entire campaign where you're worried about, is my character going to survive? Am I going to get enough XP points to go mm. on to the next mm-hmm. adventure? And the mo- I think that's where, then, the idea of replaying a scenario or a setting becomes interesting, because you're like, could that have been done better? Could we have mm. learned something different? Or will we learn something different from the setting if we play these higher tier characters or lower tier characters 
because they have different like a, a marine a space marine is not going to be able to walk around the underhive very easily whereas like a a poor ganger can do so yeah I, i'm just trying to think of any other scenarios like D related like, the only one i can think of that's replayed several times and famously is awful is tomb of horrors which is deliberately meant to be like you, your characters get grinded up because it's that that bad but actually having a scenario like that it's it is about the story it's about how do you get to you know it's about the choices you make giving you that level of ending it's obviously much more interesting than just like throwing stats <laughs> at, yeah. at, a, at, a, at a challenge and then you know get knocking it down till you you've proceed to the next area so I guess just to sort of finish it off, Chris, is there anything, uh, obviously, I, we're going to plug the Kickstarter, I know, but is there anything else yeah. you wish to plug? or any, What's more um, people up to and stuff? On the Storyteller Vault release just recently mm. is, uh, so Vampire the Masquerade 5th Edition is now an option on Storyteller's Vault, so people can mm. go over there and publish their own fan, you know, their, their, their community content on there. So there are two scenarios on there from myself and the Duckadex team. So there is uh, Ascension Night, which was the first ever recorded play of Vampire the Masquerade 5th Edition and therefore the first ever written scenario for it <laughs> that we ran on release day. So you can actually listen to that podcast episode as well as playing through the scenario. Then the other scenario is Make Blood Boil, which I've run for demos and of course has been out in the wild for ages. And of course, yeah. Fiona, you've played through I've played it. It's great fun. Um, so those scenarios are basically taking what we initially put out for free and host on the website on the dark days radio website and now have been like re redressed up in in the true form in the vampire the masquerade fifth edition format with all the mm-hmm. files and and everything they give you to do that so mm-hmm. those are doing rather well uh they yeah. are pay what you want so mm-hmm. uh pay what you want like you know you don't have to pay but actually pay. <laughs> yeah. uh, they're cheap they're like three quid yeah so. exactly it's nothing great and they've least. also got like and they're really well setting, written but... they've also got setting material in there so you can exactly. set your games in manchester if you wanted to because that's my you? setting for yes it. Obviously, there is Dark Days Radio and Dark Hammer, which uh, Dark Days Radio is a horror podcast focusing a lot on World of Darkness and Chronicles of Darkness. That's been going on for uh, literally ages. There are hundreds of episodes, (laughs) interviews with people uh, and uh, games mastering um, Mm -hmm. guidance and original content. Dark Hammer, which I really need to record a new episode of at some point. <laughs> You're a very busy man. It's okay. Is, um, <laughs> is all about the Warhammer RPG. So we look at a different concept in it and how to roleplay as that. So I think we, we talked about in one episode about why playing a space ring is actually interesting mm. um, and how you do it. Like they're a fish out of water if you put them with regular humans because they're basically these programmed superhuman killers who are called angels of death and then you're like aren't they just basically like child soldiers that have grown up that's effectively what they are um obviously there's the streamed game of vampire the masquerade fifth edition going on and at some point we'll take a break from that and run something else that'll be Mm -hmm. good there's the kickstarter which is doing quite well very well tracking with the original kickstarter quite well it's currently on 276 thousand dollars so that's good. then the cyber magazine which will be out a new issue will be out in october so cyber magazine essays a futurism pop science 
technology magazine. It's a very nice looking magazine um, because James, who is the editor for it, has uh, a, a particular eye for graphic design and what it looks like. But we try to couple it with actual, like, you know, properly researched science and so forth. So uh, the next issue is about... What is the next issue about? It's about Earth. It's, it's basically titled Earth 2070. So we're talking about a lot of green technologies and uh, things like... Uh, what did I write for it, actually? Uh, I've written an article just now about green transport technologies, uh, things about, like, batteries, and really getting to grips with the idea, I think, that when you hear about something that is like, oh, well, this technology is low carbon, that comes at a price and mm. so not every green technology is as green as you think mm -hmm. we are playing these balancing games always mm. with trying to find a solution so when someone says they've got a brand new green technology you kind of go like yes but what but. cost <laughs> yes um, hang on <laughs> so yeah for the magazine i'm the senior writer so i write at least one or two uh articles every issue um, nice. and when's that out Oh, I don't have a date. It's okay. likely gonna be. Um, it's likely gonna be towards the end of this month, uh, or or no, yeah, uh, just because of of where, where I have to fill gaps sometimes in writing. That happens. Um, yeah, it sounds like a breeze. Really, all the stuff you're doing, you you make it look so easy and effortless, Chris, as well as painting your house. It's painful, and yeah, and painting toy soldiers when I get the chance to. Um, to de-stress, yeah. probably, and not it's look a, at it's a screen. It's a wonderful de-stress. It is. Yeah, so that's basically it. Um, just you know, if people are into D and D, pick up um, Iron Kingdoms. Actually, people should have found if they've got it. There was a free RPG Day Iron Kingdoms scenario. So all you need to run that is the SRD and the pre-generated characters that are online for D and D. Perfect. And well, I'll just finish off by saying uh, I am the host of What Am I Rolling, a twice-monthly RPG one-shot podcast. As always, it's going very, very well. Uh, we have Vert coming out uh, in cool. uh, on Halloween and the two weeks after Halloween, run by Rob, who you know and you've interviewed recently. So yeah, I've never, I've I've never played Vert. It uses the cipher system, which is ah. very, very good and very easy. And and Rob was excellent running it, and obviously set in Manchester, so it's brilliant. Um, really really enjoyable and at some point there'll be more stuff after that coming out um, we have an offer code for Third Space Gaming which is your local friendly game store in Burnley where I'm originally from uh, so if you put in the offer code DMBC into checkout you get 10% off and that can be on anything that could be an RPG book that could be well maybe those stock Iron Kingdoms who knows um, some, and definitely, they'll definitely have terrain and war stuff so that's off your first order and of course uh, we are now streaming exclusively uh, season three of DM's Book Club on Dragon Jewel's uh, Twitch channel, which is very exciting. Myself and my new co-host uh, Hamilton. By the time this comes out, will be the next episode will be on the uh, long-awaited arrival of season three for Critical Role, where we just talk about the the source books that have come out, which are you know very interesting and in how you can make your own stuff for that. But also catching up on the stuff that has been released as well in the 
intervening time. So all that's very exciting. Um, and just to say thank you so much, Chris, for this very last minute interview. I appreciate <laughs> it's like you're right. a busy, busy man <laughs> getting stuff done. Um, so this is exciting. And well, I hope, fingers crossed, that your your stretch goal gets funded so you get yes, even you. more I, work. I, it'd be, I do hope it gets it gets picked up that'll be great but sure yeah if it doesn't i'm sure i i don't know maybe i'll get asked to write it anyway these things always i happen. think you will but yeah. maybe you'll take that time off to do even more painting of miniatures perhaps yes <laughs> yes that's for certain well with all that uh, friends thank you so much for listening and we'll speak to you next time bye bye